Thanks for pressing play. Welcome to this very special episode of Attention Deficit Theater. <laughs> because uh, this is an extraordinary conversation with me and an incredible journalist and author named Abby Ellen. Now, do you know what it feels like to be duped, lied to, in an extraordinary manner? Imagine falling in love and having a whirlwind romance with a doctor who also serves in the military, claimed to have been stationed at Guantanamo Bay for a time, and claimed many other extraordinary things about his life and career. Imagine being proposed to and expecting to marry this amazing man who also worked at the Pentagon. Then imagine it was all a big lie. Your reality is no more. Abby Ellen, our guest today, is an extraordinary best-selling author and New York Times writer and contributor to a ton of other uh, prestigious publications. Her book is called Duped, Double Lives, False Identities, and the Con Man I Almost Married. And what you're about to hear is a riveting conversation about that and a whole bunch of other things, like Diet Coke. She recently wrote an article for the New York Times about that. Swearing, what it means to monetize suffering, why she hates morning people, the Madoff crime through her eyes, and pay special attention to her thought that you can't see red flags through rose-colored glasses. Also, I want to tell you, she's got a riveting new podcast series based on her book, Duped, on Spotify called Imposters the Commander, which is the nickname she gave for the uh, evil, let's just call him so-and-so, uh, who duped her. And one other fun thing about Abby she is known for naming Caramel Sutra ice cream for Ben and Jerry's. This is Christopher Lockett, Follow Your Different. We've been called the best business podcast by Podcast Magazine. And one podcast reviewer said that we're total shit. Whatever you call us, we feature real different dialogues for people who think that conversations still matter. If you're on the interweb, don't forget to check out CategoryPirates.com and Category Pirates on Amazon. It is both our newsletter series, and now it is a series of mini ebooks and audio companions on Amazon.com. Recent newsletters and mini books include The Big Brand Lie, The Power of a Point of View, Missionaries versus Mercenaries, No Ocean Strategy, and a recent favorite of mine, the me disease, why personal branding is a lie, and how some of the smartest people in business fell for it. Also, check out MalibuMilk.com. Malibu Milk is the world's first whole plant organic flax milk, and I love this stuff. And on checkout, type in DIFFERENT15 for a 15% discount on your order. That's MalibuMilkWithAY.com. Now, as Joey Ramone said, hey-ho, let's go. So tell me about you and Muhammad Ali. It's it's not <laughs> it's not that interesting of a story. But when I was in Colorado at um, 
the DNC. So what year was this? This was the year that Obama made his big speech. What was I this? I don't know. That was a lot of scotches ago for me. It was a lot of Diet Cokes for me, which I just quit. No, I want to hear about that. I read your story about that. The point of it all is that Muhammad Ali was on my airplane, my flight, and I was so stoked. I was so like, oh my God. And he was sick. And I just remember we got off in, I guess we were flying back from Colorado and everybody was surrounding him. And I was just, I, I don't get thrilled by people very often. And I didn't talk to him, but he was one of the few people I would really be like, just I was so happy to be in his presence. He was amazing. He was amazing. You know, he was beautiful. He was articulate. He was fun. I remember the big, was it Leon Sphinx? Sphinx. Am I saying his name wrong? <laughs> Leon Sphinx. And that yeah, big Sphinx. Yeah, 76, 75. When was that? Was it Leonard Sphinx or Leon Sphinx? Leon. Leon. Leonard Nimoy. Oh, there two. I thought it was anyway, Leon keep- Keep, keep yeah. going. I'll, I'll look it up while you're talking. Keep I'm, going. Rambling. I'm like one of those old people reminiscing of the 70s. 76 was a good year all around for me. I was like eight. And um, so anyway, I just remembered that. And I just remember, you know, I we it was Ali, Ali, Ali. We just wanted Ali to win. And he was he was magnificent. So I was really happy to see him. And he, he couldn't walk. He couldn't really function at the time. But it was it was cool. That's my really boring story. No, you you have a Muhammad Ali story that I don't. It turns out it's Leon Spinks. Leon Spinks. All right. Yeah. If, if Wikipedia is right, it was Leon. Yeah, it was Leon. Yeah. Leonard, Leonard, Nemo, Leonard Bernstein, but, but Leon Spinks. Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen. Did you meet him too? Do you know him? No, I, I, I wish. I mean, I met him when I sat there in concert and listened to him for two and a half hours. So if you consider that meeting him, but... Um, no, and unfortunately, I hadn't started podcasting at that, you know, when he died, and I would have, uh, I would have chased him really hard to get him on the podcast. Me too. He he was he was also. I, I would have been stoked to be near him too. Muhammad Ali and Leonard Cohen. I mean, I, I Leonard Cohen. I remember seeing him, and he said something that was so nice. It, he was saying goodbye to everybody at the end, and he said, you know, something to the effect of, "May you take care of your families and." You know, if that's your path, your loved ones and, you know, and then he also said, you know, and if that's not your path, just enjoy what you do or something like that. You know, and I thought that's cool because you're not saying like being having a family, having a partner is like the way everybody lives. And I, I really appreciated that. So anyway, that's very cool. At what, uh, you know, when, when did you meet him? What was going on? No, this he didn't say that to me directly. No, no, no. This was just when I saw him a couple of times in concert. I just remember he repeated that. I saw him in Boston. Wow. I saw him in New York. I saw him. I just was sort of a, a, a Cohen head, you know? Yes. What years did you see him? Yeah. In the mid 2000s, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. When, right. That, that would have been that would have been when I saw him as well. And do you know the story of why he started touring again? He lost all his money. He was duped. He was duped. Nice segue, yes. Chris. <laughs> How do you like that? How do you like it when I throw the ball right down the middle of the plate? <laughs> that was like, that was awesome. <laughs> right? His manager ripped him off and he had no money. But the beauty is fans like you and I got to see him. I saw him at the Paramount Theater in uh, Oakland, what had been, which has been completely restored and is incredibly beautiful. And, and he wouldn't get off the fucking stage. Oh, that's fantastic. When I saw him, he wouldn't get off the fucking floor. He was like, did he do that? When you saw him, he was like down on the floor and like, you know, singing away. And he was like 80, whatever. And then he got up. Do you remember? Did he do I that? don't remember him rolling around on the floor. That, now, 
Then we he started, exactly. Maybe he was doing his best Jimi Hendrix or something. Did he light a guitar on fire? No, maybe he was doing his Madonna material. Wasn't that when she did that? With, oh, is that? Yeah, no. Yeah, she rolls around in that video. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like talking about Madonna. I'm a little bummed with the way Madonna's going these days. I got to tell you, I thought she would have been a little cooler than she is. She's become very tone deaf. And that's sort of bumming me out because she was so on on point so many years ago. She really was. So I don't track any of this celebrity shit. So what's going on with Madonna? Hmm. And you're a healthier person, but um, she just, she just seems based on some of her tweets and some of the things, and I don't, I'm not a big social media person either, but every once in a while, something will just sort of pop up in my orbit and I, I click on it. She just seems like she's out of touch with the world in a way that celebrities often are, but at least they pretend that they're not. And she was, I mean, she was so terrific for gay rights and, 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 and human rights and, 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 and racism and, and getting people to vote. And now she just seems like this wealthy person whose face doesn't move. And it's sort of bumming me out. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. She, the only, the only, um, uh, uh, emotion she can portray in a movie now is, is, is surprise. <laughs> When these when they all look like Mount Rushmore, right? It's like my face. Yeah, it's is like Cher, right? Everything's pulled back a little tight. Totally, totally. The last thing I remember about Madonna, and this shows you how much I pay attention, was as Lady Gaga was beginning to ascend, and I, I don't remember what she said. Do you? Do you remember Abby? She had a bunch of shitty things to say about Lady Gaga ripping off her shtick. She said it was derivative, which, to be honest, I think I think it was, I, I, you know, but there's a way to look at it. It's derivative or it's an homage. Right. So that depends how you want to flip it. Madonna said it was derivative. I, I don't remember the first. Um, was it not Poker Face? But one of her songs sounds a lot like Madonna's one of Madonna's songs. I, I don't know. Enough. It does. But Is I did born this way or it was one of the very yeah. early big hits. And she sounds a lot like like if you didn't know, you would think it was Madonna. And I did. Yeah, because I didn't know who Lady Gaga was at first. And so I thought it was Madonna. So, you know, it, it is. You can say it's derivative or you can say it's homage. It would have been cool if they, you know, when when they did A Star is Born. And I I, I mean, I'm a, a Star is Born head from the 70s again, from that Barbra Streisand one with Chris Christopherson. I mean, I quoted from that. that, that How good looking were the two of them in that movie, too? Holy shit. <laughs> just, and when she's standing there with that Superman um with that shirt, right? And the knee socks when they're in the desert, do you remember? And she's just, that t-shirt. And they were just hot. You just wanted to just be around. Hot. And Chris Christopherson was the sexiest man in the known universe for, uh, actually, he probably, he kind of still is. He, he, it's Christopher, um, it's it's Chris Christopherson and, and Sam Shepard, may he rest in peace. Those were like my dudes. Oh my God. Oh my God. I mean, no age discrimination on my part at all. They're like, please bring it on. They were amazing. So, yeah, the two of them. So I quoted from her song. I don't know if you remember the song Everything that was in um, I Want Everything. Every, yeah, I'm not a singer, but and I quoted from that. From in my the Star is Born. Yeah, yeah. I quoted yeah, in my yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that that movie was was great. And I always wanted to make a remake myself, which, of course, I'm not in that world. So why would I? But. But so when Barbara Streisand was really gracious and lovely, apparently to Lady Gaga, when the new, when this, when the movie came out, you know, and she was like, you did a great job. So I see Lady Gaga actually as more of a Streisand person. And I think she'll have that longevity. Whereas Madonna, I, I worry, I worry. I don't, I'm not, it's not a therapy issue, but I mean, I worry about what's going to happen to her. Anyway. Hmm. 
It's interesting, you know, because um, if you think about, if you go back a little bit, you think about the Stones and the homage that they paid to Chuck Berry and so many others, right? And they, they said, we're playing black people's music. I mean, they said it, right? And for me and my work, I mean, I try to be very, very clear. There's a set of people whose shoulders I'm trying to stand on. Uh, there's no question about that, right? right? And, and the reality is, very few people are the creators of something that is a hundred percent completely new that isn't at least informed by or inspired by somebody else's work. Totally. No, that's exactly right. And, and I think, and I think you, the, the thing to do is, is just, I'm a big meta person. I'm, I'm big on like self-referential. I, I mean, you just or calling out what something is. And so if you say this was inspired by blah, 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 I think people appreciate that and don't try and do something subterfugally, which is not a word, but I like it. Yeah. And you know, like um, one of my mentors via his books is this guy named Jeffrey Moore in Silicon Valley. He wrote this seminal book in the tech industry called crossing the chasm. And he's done, you know, other great work since then, but crossing the chasm was like a seminal book for me. And uh, I've never met the man, um, but I've heard multiple times through pretty good channels uh, that he is not my biggest fan. Uh, Far from it. And so I I, I don't exactly know why, but I don't even give a shit if, if, if it's true. And I've heard it enough, so I assume it's probably true, but I don't know. I've never met the man. But even if it is true, even if I saw him and he looked me in the face and said, go fuck yourself... I would still acknowledge his greatness and his contribution to me and our industry. Uh, he, he's done a great job. And I don't, he might, I don't know, but he might have heat towards me. I, even if he has heat towards me, I don't even care. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's the idea of really, and I've thought about this a lot about appreciating somebody's work and their contributions versus dealing with the fact that they might be a shitty person. I remember in grad school, I had a teacher who was talking about Flaubert and he said, and I quote, it was so ridiculous. Flaubert was a great fornicator. <laughs> and I thought, okay, good for Flaubert. But he was sort of dissing Flaubert, you know, how Flaubert was kind of a dog. And I thought, yeah, but Flaubert, I mean, he gave us Madame Bovary. I mean, you know, he like, did that really matter? And it's a really interesting question, especially now in the world with everybody getting canceling, canceled, right? And for, can you separate, how much can you separate the person from, from their work and from their douchiness versus their, you know, uh, being being a good a good person versus being not a good person and what's the line there you know and i don't know the answer to that but it's interesting that you have that experience with your guide i mean it doesn't influence your opinion of him you say right no 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 it really doesn't i mean i'd I'd tell you i'd fuck i'd fucking tell you for sure no i'm not mad at him i'm not what i i I got nothing and i don't and maybe he doesn't but and maybe he does i have no idea but whatever it is i don't care it's fine he's his his contributions are undeniable, and they have com, uh, completely influenced my work and the work of countless other, others in our industry. And even if he's the world's ragingest asshole, um, which you know I have no idea, that is a factual statement. Yeah, I think it's the difference between being a great person and being a good person. Right? There's a difference. Being a great artist, being a great. Uh, podcaster being a great you know writer whatever it is you know and just being a good human being maybe maybe they're not thing if we sort of go back to the madonna lady gaga thing yeah uh as i am now in the stage of my life that i'm in you know buddy of mine says there's a a learn stage and an earn stage and a uh 
Oh, it rhymes. What is it? Oh, for fuck's sakes. Yearn. Give back. Learn. Earn. Learn, earn, and yearn? I don't know. No, it, it's give back, but it rhymes. Oh, for Burn, Christ's sake, Lock. Spurn. Spurn? I have no idea. Anyway, the give, the, uh, you know, one of my favorite expressions is if you're lucky enough to make it to the top of a mountain, throw down a fucking rope, right? So uh, I'm trying to throw down a fucking rope. And, and so as the next generation comes up, why shit on them? You know, like I remember um, not long ago, uh, Scotty Pippen was shitting all over the, um, uh, the Golden State Warriors and Steph, Cur- Steph Curry and, and such. And there was this debate about which team was better, sort of the Jordan Bulls or the war- the Warriors when they were on their massive run a couple years ago. And Pippen came out and said, ah, you know, we, you know, kill them and, nah, 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 and all this negative shit. And it was like, really? Why, why do you have to do that, man? You should be, you should be an honorable guy. You should be celebrating them, taking the game forward. And you shouldn't even be engaging in a stupid conversation like that. Does it come from gross insecurity? What is that? What do you think that is? Not wanting the competition. Not well, I don't know what that is because once it, you it re- must be that, yeah. You know, the weird thing about it is uh, serendipitously, uh, one of the greatest gifts in my life since I started writing and podcasting is I've gotten to know uh, Bill Walton. Oh, who's a deadhead? He was the deadhead. Do you know they invented the Grateful Dead Fan Hall of Fame for him? No, I did not know that. That's excellent. Wow. So and do you know the story of how he met them? Probably involves some kind of LSD. I don't know. No. <laughs> Well, I'm not sure about that part, but what he said to me was the first dead concert that he ever went to, he was fairly close up front to the stage and Bill is legit seven feet tall. I mean, the guy is a skyscraper. When he walks in the room, you know, Bill Walton walked in the room. Actually, he's so modest. When he comes over to meet you, he extends his hand. He says, hi, I'm, I'm Bill. It's like, I, I know exactly who the fuck you are. Well, someone could have think he was Larry Bird. Uh, yeah, maybe, if you didn't know much about basketball, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, long story, way longer. So he's at, the, the de- he's at his first Dead concert. He's fairly close to the stage. And as Bill tells the story, a bunch of people are bitching because he's so fucking tall, they can't enjoy the show because they can't see around him or, or they can't see over him, blah, 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 blah. So I guess somehow this gets back to security or whatever, whatever. So the security guys come over to him and they say, sir... Would you like to come backstage and watch the show from there? And he said, I would love to do that. And so he watched the show from, I guess, the side of the stage or the, you know, whatever it was and got to meet the band. And, and yeah, he became the, literally the Grateful Dead's number one fan. I remember he won some event. I, he probably did this a lot, but I just remember he won a game somewhere and he said, hey, now, hey, now. Ico, Ico. And I just remember how many people watching Bill Walton actually know what that is. And I was very proud of the fact that I knew what that was, you know, but yeah, there I, is no better. Uh, he's I mean, I think he's the greatest color color commentator in the history of sports, <laughs> but I'm biased. I've fallen in love with him. No, I love that. I love that. I, you know, those Tom five foot three, maybe. So um, I, I the world is so different. I have this if you were. I don't know what it would be like going through life being seven feet, being six feet tall. Shit, I don't know what it would be like being five foot five. I mean, but, you know, it's a, you have this gravitas, right? That you, that just the world is different for you. And yet there you are. You can't watch a base basketball, a dead show in peace because you're too tall and you're blocking someone's view. 
I know. Well, we're all I, I'm six feet tall, and uh, being on a plane is not particularly comfortable for me, even in business or first class. I mean, it's a lot better, of course, if it's international business class, then it's great. But yeah. domestic business class is still a little tight at six feet. And so if you're Bill, I, I don't know how it works. And I mean, as a color commentator, as a, uh, he, he's flying all over the place. You get a private plane. You get a private I guess plane. I, 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 you know, I should ask him that. He's not the kind of guy that strikes me as a private plane type guy, but, you know, maybe he needs to. Well, I'm so stoked to meet you because I think we were scheduled to do this uh, quite a while ago. And I don't know what happened. Maybe it was your calendar. No, I think I, I think there was a tech glitch. I think I didn't have heads. I, there was some issue or were, I, I think it was on me. But I think I didn't know that. I was. I don't remember. All I remember is I was preparing for you. I was getting very excited. And then it didn't happen. And I remember saying to Candace, what the fuck's going on with Abby Ellen? And she said, no, no, I'm following up with her people and she's going to come on. And so I've sort of had two runs of your work, you know, sort of two immersion sessions. The first time I thought you were coming and, and then over the last handful of days. And so actually it made me think of something to ask you, which is. Yeah. You're one of those people who, at least for me, and this is not always the case, even with people who do great work, where at least I feel like I already know you from your work, from your writing, from listening to you on podcasts. Uh, I mean, Duped is a very, very personal, uh, I mean, it's it, you are radically transparent. Uh, it doesn't appear that you do anything to make yourself look good. I mean, you expose, <laughs> right? And so anyway, I guess my point is, as a result of the way you do your work, I feel like I know you. Do people tell you that regularly? Yeah. And they also say that I talk like I write or I write like I talk, which... Um, I think that's an achievement. I, well, thank you. I th First of all, thank you for doing all that research. I'm in, like, you know, painful, but um, thank you for doing that because a lot of people do not or they or they would have their producer to it. So whoever did it, thank you. Um, but I think that's bullshit, by the way, the only people we have on are people we think are fucking great. And well, I read the books and I try to get to know them. And I, cause the reason you're here is cause you know, me and the rest of the team, we thought you were fascinating and interesting. So yeah, we're going to do some fucking work and, and no, it's not going to be a producer who hands me a piece of paper. Fuck that. And I'm dyslexic and I still read your shit. Cause if you're here, it's cause I think you're awesome. All right. Can I just ask you a question to digress? When did you start swearing like a motherfucker? Uh, you know, best I could tell, probably in the womb. Really? I love yeah. swearing. See, I love to swear. A lot of women don't. I, I, I don't know if it's oh, not. I love chicks that swear. I, oh, fucking A, man. I think there, I like to say man, too. I think there is nothing, <laughs> better, nothing better than a big old fuck. Um, that sounds weird, but you know, I, I, that. Um, I understood the context, Abby. <laughs> so, but anyway, in, yes, people say they feel like they know me and, you know, I don't know that they, and, and I know that I, I used to have a, uh, editor at the Boston Phoenix named Caroline Knapp and she has died, but she was, um, really brilliant. She wrote a book called drinking a love story and she, uh, which was all about her uh, drug addiction, alcohol addiction. And she used to write this column and she was very honest, like, like profoundly honest. And I, I felt like I knew her before I met her and I was in awe of her. And she scared me because I thought she was so brilliant. And I was starting out, I was in my twenties. And I remember she wrote a column talking about how people thought that they knew her and they, they thought that she was so transparent. And she said to, she, people said something, the line was, you know, you, you're really putting yourself on the line. And she said, no, I, sometimes I think I'm just hiding behind it. You know, it's very easy for me to write anything in print, 
but actually I don't want to like, I'm happy to spend this time talking about you and your foul mouth. I mean, we don't need to talk about me. Like it's, it actually makes me uncomfortable. That's a journalist thing. I like to ask questions. So when I write, I can write something, but I'm also controlling what you know, you know, and I was totally willing to sound like an asshole and duped because that was part of what needed to be done for that, for that story. Right. You needed to, I was working at, I was trying to channel the way other people think about someone who gets deceived. I was engaged to a pathological liar. He went to jail and everyone I know who I told that story to had their own story or knew somebody who did. And a lot of them didn't want to tell the story publicly or use their names because they felt like such idiots. And I was like, Hey man, I'm an idiot. I'll, I own it because it happens and it's real. Well, I I think it's great. And, um, I think you, you did something that is, on one hand, um, fascinating, and uh, please take this the way that I mean it. All right, we'll it's see. Entertaining. It's it reads like a suspense novel, and even when I hear you talk about it, like I I, uh, I heard you on Gretchen Rubin from several years ago, I think, uh, if I remember right. So your shit is you, you, the stories you tell, whether you're telling them verbally or whether you're writing them. And so whether we're experiencing them through your voice or your pen, your shit reads and feels like a novel, like a suspense novel. Thank you. It's a, you know, we, we actually I sold the rights because the, the operative words here are monetize suffering. So. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> That's what you got to do. So when when life gives you lemons, you make lemon meringue pie and you eat it and you don't worry about getting fat. Um, so, yeah, I saw the podcast rates and it, it's going to be it's it's coming out in September, I think. Um, but it's going to be like a it's a six part series a la, a la Dirty John. And it's like a suspense thing. So, yeah, it's cool. It's 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 nice. I mean, shitty things happen all the time. And I think the best it's nice to know you're not alone. I, I was talking to someone recently when I was a kid, I would go babysit for, for, you know, to make money and they would say, eat whatever you want. And so I would just go wild and like eat their whole house, you know? And I just met someone else who told me that she did used to do the same thing. I was like, no, really? And I, it just made me feel better, you know, that I wasn't the only person. Like, well, I'm with you on that one. I used to eat uh, my friends. Uh, in, I'd eat like half a fucking bag of chocolate chip cookies at their house. Like that was like, make their mom mad kind of thing. Yeah. Like, I don't know how you could eat that many chocolate chip cookies, but I can remember eating in, you know, with a glass of milk and an inordinate amount of chocolate chip cookies. The fact that you only ate half the the bag is uh, to me a win. (laughs) Actually, you want to hear a funny story about this? Yeah. So, uh, when, when I was a kid, I was in bands and we used to jam at our, uh, lead guitar players place. His name is Johnny. And his father, I guess when he was a kid, I don't know, he got nicknamed Nani. So his parents sometimes would call him by this nickname, Nani, and they were Scottish. So we had finished jamming for the day. And I don't know how we got into this, but we got into a a bet that our bass player, Nick, couldn't eat four boxes of uh, mac and cheese craft dinner oh. in one sitting. And we bet him, I don't know what we bet him, probably not much. So we went ahead and we made this big fucking pot of mac and cheese, the worst kind, you know, with the powder that's yeah, I do. full of can- the cancer yeah. powder, Thank all God. that stuff. Yeah. 
Right. This was gourmet for us. Anyway, so we made four boxes of this, and then he's sitting there, and he's got he's just eating it out of this giant pot. Anyway, <laughs> I'll never forget his dad coming home and being absolutely furious. This just made him absolutely rip shit mad. And, and I remember him saying, noni, 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 this is fucking stupid. Because <laughs> we were trying to make Nick eat the house, essentially. <laughs> That's great. I kind of like all that food. I, I do, which it's like, like, like I love my Diet Coke, you know, I just, I mean, yeah, that's, that's all comfort food. You know, so let's were, talk about that. You just wrote this story in the New York times yeah, about giving, giving up. up. Yeah. How many years remind me, Abby? I was a cokehead, a diet cokehead for almost 40 years. I, I I'm 53 now. And when I was 12, were you born in 1968? I was born in December 67, December 22nd. So Jesus has always messed up my birthday and I'm Jewish. So yeah. I'm like screwed. So I, yet again, I am a victim. So, um, <laughs> cause I oh, was born in 68. You were? Oh, so you're younger than I am. What month? Yeah. May. Oh, that's a nice month. Are you a Taurus? Yeah. That's good. I don't know what that means, but good for you. Um, I, I don't know what it means either. I get told all the time that I'm a typical Taurus, but I don't really, other than stubborn, I don't really know what that means. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, I don't know what that means. I know what the Gemini means because that's split, but I, you know, like that's obvious. I don't know. I'm, I'm on the cusp of Sag and Cap, but I don't know what I, what specifically, because my parents forgot what time I was born and the hospital burned down and it's not on my birth certificate. So yet again, victim. I really, I, it's amazing that I'm functioning. Um, so why am I telling you this? Uh, Diet Coke. Yeah. So my friend Pete Gambard, who's a, who actually you should meet him. He's great. He's a A&R guy. And um, he's won a couple of Grammys, but we were at summer camp together and he brought back, I was like 12, he was maybe 13. And he brought back this diet thing, this new drink called Diet Coke. I was like, isn't that tab? And he, it was this new thing that Coke introduced in 1982. And so I, after that, I was, I was hooked, man, all over the world. I, like I said in the story, I went to New Delhi and I, we were going into the middle of the country and I found one store in India that like had Diet Coke and I bought it out. I mean, like JetBlue, I don't like to fly because they only have Diet Pepsi, right? <laughs> I mean, and I would, I would, you know, hoard my Diet and you Coke. Were, were you drinking like four or six or eight oh, or how many a day? Three to four cans. So, and I like the cans. If you see this, this is a sparkling water can. It's this spin, spin thrift. And it just, the only reason uh, I like that's, it, I like that stuff. That's nice. It's, it is. Nice. And if you shut your eyes, which is what I'm doing now, I can feel it and it feels like I'm drinking a Diet Coke. I mean, like I would be until I open my mouth and pour it in and it's not, but people would always tell me that I should quit it. And I don't like those sanctimonious non-soda drinkers. Just like, I don't like those sanctimonious morning people because I don't think anything good happens before 10 AM. So you know, and then people who are like, every the morning, got to greet the day. Fuck you. So I, um, but, but the Diet Coke, I loved it. It, 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 but I was addicted to it. I mean, I really was addicted to it again, to the point where I'm in, you know, New Delhi buying out of stores. So, um, finally my stomach started hurting a lot recently and then no one knew why and no one knew why. And I was tasting this Diet Coke and it started to taste really chemically to me anyway. Um, over the last couple of years. And I didn't know if they changed, changed the formula. I don't know. I asked them and they said, no, but I just was like, you know what? I'm done. And I, that was it. The weirdest thing. And so now I have here my, uh, my tea, my unsweetened iced tea and this spin thrift. And it, it sucks. I, I kind of want to start smoking again, but I won't. <laughs> and I was reading in your article, let me see if I'm remembering this right. Yes. That um, you you talk to some doctor or scientist or some yeah. smart 
person yes. who said that if Diet Coke was being introduced today, they would consider it like a highly addictive drug. Am I remembering this right? You nailed it. Yeah, Ashley Gearhart. She's at the University of Michigan. She said that. She's a big food researcher. Yeah, I thought that was pretty amazing. I'm sorry. I don't know how to do this. I thought I turned it off. <laughs> I did. I'm sorry. Um, I, I, the, I have a terrible word that I won't use that's very politically incorrect to describe myself. So I won't. You could say any word you I want around me. I will get canceled. I will get ghosted. I will get annihilated. I will not say the word, but I'm not that smart. Um, Speaking of getting canceled, fuck yeah. getting canceled. Okay. Fuck getting canceled. Fuck getting canceled. Yeah. I know. You know what I did? Tell me. I ran a full page ad in Podcast Magazine with quotes from all of my worst reviews. Good for you. And? People thought it was great. <laughs> it is great. It is great. No, it is great. I mean, you said it earlier. Own it. Own it. You know. Own it. Annoying host. Great. I'm not going to argue with you about that. What yeah. was the one? There's one about swearing that's really swears unnecessarily. And a lot of our listeners have emailed me and said, you know, there's really no such thing as unnecessary swearing. There is no <laughs> unnecessary swearing. There is no gratuitous swear. Swearage. It, it is. You fucking. I, I just think everything sounds better with good fuck. That, again, will be taken out of context. But. <laughs> well, remember, we do not edit this. So the conversation we have is what the world will hear. So nobody will get that one uh, wrong. Okay. We're not going to take some sound bite and make it. That's not us. Far, very far from it. <laughs> okay. So, so the thing about the Diet Coke, yeah. you call, you quit cold turkey, right? I did. It's been now, what are we on? 43, 44 days. I'm counting days like my friends in AA. Yeah. I found a support group. I mean, online, you know, there's this Facebook right. you, you mentioned a Facebook group. Yeah. And, um, I, I mean, I mean, I talked to the woman who started it and she said, you know, she wanted to hold herself accountable. So she created a public group and I thought, yeah, well, I just held myself accountable in the New York times. I mean, like how else now I'm really, I can't ever re-ask because, you know, but it's, it's cool. Cause I've gotten a lot of emails from people who are like, yeah, I had the same problem. And, um, and then I had some people who were like, who gives a shit? And I get that too. You know, like everybody's, I was people's hangovers are not that interesting. Right. And people's addiction stories are not, and their journeys are not that interesting. Like I don't, you know, I'm happy or sober. I'm happy or clean. I don't really give a shit about the minutia of all your amendment issues. And, you know, you're making amends every five seconds. I don't need to hear all that. So I don't know that it's that interesting that I quit Diet Coke unless you can really, you know, you have a problem with it. And I think, I think what it is, is I guess maybe there's a link here to dupage and Diet Coke is that, um, Diet Coke addiction is really kind of unsexy and it's stupid because it's legal. So it's kind of pathetic, I think. And I felt that way, but it's like, it was real and people feel that way and sort of like being duped. Yeah. It's not really sexy and it's not really, you know, less something you want to admit that you fell for someone who's a liar or, you know, and went to jail, but like that shit happens and it's real. So I'm just, you know, I'm just every woman who's a moron. I need make every, every woman, you know, like one word, like every man. Yeah. <laughs> so I got a, maybe a, a weird question for you. Go for it. What's it like being a New York Times writer? Well, I'm a freelancer. So, I mean, I mean, I've been yeah, writing no, I know that, but I mean, you write for the Times on a fairly regular basis. Yeah, yes, I had a column there. Um, I, I, but you know, for five years, I wrote this column about young people and money, and I was really stoked with myself once when I joked about Philip Roth and the Roth IRA. And my editor was like, not funny. Um, but I, what's it like being a New York Times writer? 
when I, when I moved to New York, I would walk by the building and I'd say one day I want to get in there. And I pitched a story when I was maybe 29 or something about, I was sitting on an airplane and I read in one of the magazines, the airline magazines about this boot camp for business executives where you like go into the woods and you played paintball and it was run by army rangers and you had more fatigues and you slept in a tent with everybody and you, you know, and I ran it. I mean, and I, I pitched it and they said, go for it. So I'm like, go to Kentucky. I write the story. It runs at one page. It was awesome in the business section. And I framed it. I thought, well, that's that. You know, I was in the New York Times. I can now die saying I was in the New York Times. And then they called me, this editor who's fantastic. Um, and I'm still in touch with him, Jim Shafter. He's at a radio station now at, uh, in New Hampshire. But, and he said, we're starting this column for young people and money. And one week, it's going to be an old person, then middle-aged, then young. You want to be the young person. And I was like, okay. So that's how that happened. It was, that was, you know, and everybody, this is my thing. Like, like I hate when people talk about being blessed. And I hate when people talk about, you know, I'm really privileged and really blessed to have blah, blah, blah. I'm not privileged. I'm not, I'm fucking lucky. I was at the right place at the right time. And I made that, you know, I emailed him. If I hadn't emailed, or I didn't email him. Because at the time it wasn't email, I sent him my my a packet, a hard copy packet of my clips, and he wrote me. That's how I reached him. But you know, and then that's what happened. So I was I was really lucky, and I don't know that I was hmm. blessed. I was lucky. And we've been writing a lot lately about this new direct to creator model, right? Mm-hmm. So if you see, you see the explosion in Substack newsletters and, yeah. and so forth and so on, there's a lot. There are a lot of people now who. Uh, are self-publishing um, that maybe never would have thought about it. And um, I, my first book was published by a major publisher, HarperCollins. Yeah. And I can't imagine, uh, and no offense to them, I just think the model's broken. I can't imagine there would be a price that we would say yes to in terms of selling the next book that we're working on. And so I'm curious how you think about it. You know, on one hand, you're independent. You're an author, you're doing your thing. Um, but at the other hand, you, you are connected to the, let's call it uh, traditional world. The intelligentsia. Oh, and much better. Uh, and so how do you think about sort of uh, writing for the New York Times, writing for major publishers for your book versus what you see happening on Substack and in other places where sort of writers are building their own businesses? I, yeah, it's such a good question. I, as somebody I, who's a technologically not that savvy, I, I mean, I have social media, but not a ton of it. I don't, it's a waste. I just don't like to do it. And I know I should for marketing reasons. I am aware of that. I should, but, um, it's extra work. And I think for me, if I were to start a Substack, I would feel really bad charging money and like having only seven people, you know, respond and they're all my relatives. So I don't think I'm going to go that route. And I like, it seems like so much work. I like having writing. For, I write writing for the New York Times. I like that 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 they publish me. I like that they have a readership. I like you know their the other work that's in there. So I like being a part of that. But I also like to diversify. So that's why I've always been freelance. I, it's it's. I think it probably is a commitment issue, commitment phobia, and I never wanted to like rely on anyone, anything. You know, it's like because what if they. What if I got fired? What if I was a staff person there or anywhere and I got fired and that was my whole world? I don't want to ever be like have anything invested in any one person or any one place. And that's probably really not mature and it's probably really intimacy phobic and all that, but that's 
the truth. So in answer to your question, I like having the cushion of, of a mainstream publisher there. If all of your, however many thousands of readers, listeners that you have want me to do a Substack and they'll pay for it, I'll think about it. Well, all I would tell you is we started our newsletter six months ago. Virtually everybody told us it was a dumb idea. Oh, there's already too many business newsletter. Nobody's going to pay 20 bucks a month for a fucking newsletter, business newsletter. And, and oh, by the way, our, our it, it comes out every week. Yeah. And it's three to 5,000 words. That's it's big. A, essentially a book chapter. Yeah. yeah and so the other thing we heard is, oh, nobody's going to read that. Well, at about the four or five month mark, we hit number 13 on the Substack charts for paid business newsletters. Wow. How, what's, how did you do that, though? How many, and that's how many membership people do you have? How many members, I guess, or subscribers? Uh, this is going to sound really stupid, but I don't really know. No, I know. I stopped looking at that stuff, and um, I look at it every once in a while. I mean, it's th- many thousands, but, I, uh, um, but here, you know, uh, we recently had on Professor Avi Loeb, who's Harvard's top astronomer, and he's and he's the first man at sort of his level of credential to come out and say we've been visited by aliens. Yeah, and he's got a lot of flack for it. He's an amazing guy. Anyway, I asked him about why he's not on social media, and it turns out he has a lot of disdain for some of these sort of celebrity professor types. Yeah, yeah. And he said the following. He said, Michael Jordan was Michael Jordan because he kept his eye on the ball, not the audience. And when our podcast first took off, Abby, I got an email. I I didn't know. I got an email from another top podcaster. And he said to me, hey, Lockhead, do you know you got the number 36 podcast in the world right now? And I was like, what, what, what? And then I went and looked at the download numbers and I shat myself. Did you, you shat yourself? And yeah. I was like, holy fuck. I didn't think, you know, I mean, I, I knew people were listening, but I had no idea. Right. Yeah. And so when you realize like, well, this is a lot of fucking people. Um, it, it sort of warped my head for about a month. Cause I, I, it, and I could feel that it was changing the kinds of things that I was doing. And so, yeah, I, I, I mean, of course we have to look at that shit from time to time. But um, I really try to stay away from it. We give our we give our advertisers no reports, <laughs> no data. Good. Yeah, we're just like you either want to be in or not. And anyway, that's the answer to the question. <laughs> you sound like Bernie Madoff. You want to be in? I got some for you. Um, didn't work out. Bernie Madoff not good for the Jews. I can say that as a Jew. So did. Um, by the way, do you know Jim Campbell by chance, who wrote Madoff Talks? No, I'm. New Glenn Campbell. Oh, no. you'd love him. That book is a stunning piece of work. Really? Okay. I'll buy yeah, it. Yeah. He was, he was Madoff's pen pal for quite some time before he died from jail. Uh, he, he befriended Ruth and the sort of thing sort of all kind of came together. And um, he wrote what I think most people think, certainly I think is the definitive book on Madoff. He did an extraordinary uh, piece of work of, of, of investigative journalism. And he came on the podcast and we did like, we talked forever. It was the most extensive discussion he's ever had in public about it. 
but uh, it's it's absolutely fascinating. It's a great book, and um, if there's any reason for you to talk to him, Jim's a stunning guy. There, well, there is because Madoff figured in my book and duped because the subtitle is "Double Lives, False Identities, and the Con Man I Almost Married." I mean, Madoff had a double life, I and mean, he, he he in addition to deceiving all of the people who were investing with him, he was also I mean, he because he, he was cheating on his wife too, right? He had his mistress for a million years, so there were so many levels of that. And I'm curious if he felt remorse. Did he write that he felt remorseful in his letters to Mr. Campbell? So my memory of it is yes, with an asterisk in that while at times he would sort of take ownership of it, a lot of the time he was the victim. You know, oh, well, they were greedy. They wanted the money. You know, so he sort of oscillated kind of back and forth. And the other thing, just as a side note, you might be curious about, you know, people ask for a long time, was Ruth involved? Were his boys involved, et cetera? And it is Jim's opinion that they they were not and they didn't know that they were truly shocked. Yeah, I would agree with that. And he has a lot of evidence to suggest that was the case. And he sort of knows he kept it so tight. There were a very, very small number of people and it was two different businesses. And the thing that was crazy is, and they were on different floors and one business was a hundred percent legit. Yep. Sure. And the other one was a complete fabrication. And so, so, you know, in terms of duped, it's like, and Jim and I talk about this and he talks about it in his book. It's like, what kind of brain do you have to have to have this amazing business that is real and give to charity and do all these things and be one of the biggest financial criminals in history? Well, I've always felt that way about art forgers. You know, it's like if they are so good that they can paint a starry night, why don't they just do their own shit? <laughs> you know, it's like, um, but yeah, Madoff was brilliant. And it's interesting because a lot of those dupers, um, the thing is that they are really brilliant. You have to be that smart. You have to be super creative. So you can use your superpowers for good or you can use your superpowers for evil. And they chose evil. I do not believe Madoff's kids knew about it. It's tragic. One committed suicide, one died of cancer. I mean, that's awful. And I think Ruth probably did not know either. Or she, because that's, and again, I talk about this in, in, in duped because duped is not just my story. I, my story, you know, I had to, as I said, sort of lead into it with my story, but I really wanted to know why this happened so much and how this happens, why we trust, why we believe, why smart people get deceived so much because they do, because the smarter you are, the more you I mean, in your book, you say it's mostly smart people that get duped. Yes. Yes. Because you think it would never happen to you. And they know that. Or, you know, people didn't, and, and, or affinity fraud, which is what Madoff was doing. He was a Jew preying on Jews. And you see it a lot in Utah with the Mormon community preying on other Mormons. There's a huge rate of affinity fraud because you think my guy wouldn't do that to me. My, one of my people wouldn't do that. So, um, so, so I think that Ruth Madoff for her, whatever she knew, assuming if she might've had an inkling, but it was to her benefit not to see it. It's I knew, but I didn't know, you know, I, I don't want to know what this guy is doing. And, and, and God knows if it were me, I can't add. So I wouldn't know what the hell he was doing with numbers and obfuscation and whatever he was doing. I can't, you know, so it's possible. She just very possible that she had no idea. I believe that. And obviously a Madoff looks very, very different through your life lens than mine. And so what do you see uh, about that, that maybe people who haven't been duped might not see? In terms of like the takeaways from that experience or anything, any, any, any sort of insight you might have that I would not. Yeah. My insight is almost cliche, but it's if there's no free lunches, 
you know, if something seems too good to be true, it is. And that is such a bleak way of looking at the world. But, um, you know, I, I think people really thought that this guy and, and there are no messiahs and there are really no gurus with the exception of, I don't know, Muhammad Ali. But there's, you know, people thought this one guy had the answer and and, and the other and he didn't. And I think that this is really cynical and, and, and I shouldn't say this, but I am not sure. I'm not sure if people who get to that level, like Madoff did, if they get there honestly. I don't know. I think there's always, when you're that powerful and have that much money and are that successful, I think there's a lot of skeletons and a lot of closets. I think you're probably right. Although, that said, I know a lot of uh, extremely wealthy people who are, at least maybe they're duping me, maybe they're all duping me, but mm-hmm. who, who appear to be generally good people. But it, it sometimes it certainly does uh, make one wonder what I I'd be curious to bounce this off you. Mm. Younger people today say, uh, reports say that the number one thing they want is to be famous. You know, and they want to be TikTok stars and this and that. And um, having sort of watched this a little bit and having known some pretty seriously famous people, best I could tell, Abby. The, the worst thing in the world would be to be famous. Uh, and so I'm, I'm curious, do you think as people get famous, uh, it, it warps them or fucks them up in, in, in unusual ways? I, 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 what I think that we all need is, and what we're all attracted to in our lives, is the act of striving. It's the chase. It's, I don't want to use the word journey because that sounds so cliche, but it's, it kind of is. It's, it's the, it's the chasing of the dream. It's why so many, you hear about so many famous people who's uh, quote unquote made it. And then they're going, they get all Peggy Lee and they're like, is that all there is? I mean, that's, you know, and because then their whole MO is kind of defunct because I've made it. So now what, you know, what do I do now? And it's in my own life. I'm, you know, like I said, I'm 53 and I feel more creative and more like stoked to work than I ever have in my life. And I feel like I'm capable of producing really good things now, you know, assuming I don't like drop dead. And, and that's really cool. But I, I have not made it on any level to where I would like to be. I mean, there's so many different areas that I want to get to. And part of me hopes that I never do until I'm really, really old because you know, I think about what something Barbara Streisand said a million years ago. She said, happy, I'd be miserable if I were happy, <laughs> you know? And it's like, yeah, right. So I think that's kind of a part of it. I understand that. Yeah, <laughs> I right? really do. So maybe let's get to the commander. <laughs> okay, sorry. Let's just, yeah, we'll start out with No, no, not sorry at all. Listen, I will hang out in ADHD theater with you <laughs> as long as you want. And I will chase you. I will chase any zebra down any rabbit hole you want to go down. So, it's just a totally um, ADHD conversation. I'm sorry. It's, yeah, you, 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 and I together are like we're like a pinball machine. <laughs> I know, I know. But I'm having fun. Okay, yeah. I am too. A, a ton of fun. Uh, I think you're fucking awesome. So the interesting thing, maybe start here. You're not a kid when you meet the commander. No, I was 42, and I had been again commitment issues. So I've always been. You know, I never saw a reason to be partnered. I never, or to be married, certainly. I didn't see that. I, I, I liked the idea of having kids. I wanted to adopt, but I didn't really ever want to be pregnant. And 
I didn't even feel the need to reproduce my own genetic matter. But um, but I wanted to be in love. <laughs> I like the idea of being in love. Being in love is, and the beginning of a relationship is so much fun because it's not about the daily grind. It's not, you know, that's fun. That's hearts and flowers and daffodils. I mean, that's fantastic, right? Getting, you know, painting the ceilings and and and, and you know, shopping at Walmart. I mean, that's boring shit. I don't want that. But so I met this guy at, at 42. I thought I got to get serious. And I met this guy through an article I wrote, um, actually in the Times. And we didn't, I didn't talk to him for about a year. And a year later, it was going to run. And, and he, was a, he was a doctor. He was a doctor. And he was a real doctor. He's in private practice in Beverly Hills. For real. And uh, he used to tell me about his clients. In fact, one of his client patients was, we met, was Catherine Zeta-Jones. And I ran into her once. And I was like, guess who I dated? And I and and guess where he is now? And she was like, "No way!" It was really cool. But anyway, um, yeah. And and so he was this kind of nerdy Jewish guy. Again, I can say that. And he um, he seemed decent. He was not a musician. He wasn't an artist. He didn't have paint under. And his he was clothes. legitimately in the military. I, yes. Was, so well, so when I met him, he wasn't in the military. The story didn't run. A year later, I called to fact check, and he said, "I've left. I'm in the military now." And I said, how can you be in the military? You're Jewish. And he said, there's like seven of us. And I said, oh, okay. And so he, so he started courting me. I mean, this was after the story ran. There was no ethical anything. Um, and he was cool. And he was, he showed up. I mean, he called when he said he would, he should, you know. And then but this was in December of 2009. This was going on in 2009. In December of 2009, he said, you know, I'd love to get together with you. We got together in February of 2010. We went to dinner in New York and that was sort of that. And then he was living in Washington because he was working at the Pentagon and he really was. He was legitimately working on this task force. So it reminded me. This of, sounds like a bullshit story already, right? I'm a doctor. I'm in the military. Now I'm in the Pentagon. Of course, of course it does. Of course it does. And there's, you know, there's no way to fact. Well, but you, I could fact check that because he, he was, his name was on a website at the Pentagon on this task force. So he was legit. But it's it's funny because you were talking about something else before uh, ADHD. And what were you talking about? And I thought, right, it's it's taking snippets of the truth and shooting it out of a cannon. Um, oh, you were we were talking about Madoff. I mean, that's what you do. You you have one business that seems totally legit and then another one that's a bit funky. Yeah. That's what the best liars do. And so so he's got this this melange, this cornucopia yeah. of shit that's true. And shit that's insane, like the, yeah. the uh, yeah. Osama bin Laden stuff, and and yeah. the uh, was it Pavarotti coming to the board meeting or something like that? Placido Domingo, yeah. And he told me that, and my mother, you know, she's like, Abby, Placido Domingo is not going because we were living in the Watergate. We moved to the Watergate, which is like ground zero for deception. I loved that, and that made me so happy that we were there. How poetic is that? It's so poetic. A fantastic. I mean, fan fucking tastic. And, and Placido Domingo lived there and, and, and it was apparently on the board. And, and the commander said to my mother, yeah, Placido Domingo was there. My mother was like, so he was so not. And this guy's like, yeah, he was. I mean, so he, this, this guy, so we met, he ends up, we, we move in together. I'm going to Johns Hopkins. Cause I was like, wanted to do something else in my life. So I got a master's in uh, international public policy. Um, I was at the, at SICE, the School of Advanced International Studies. So I wanted to change my life. I'm li- He's working at the panel. Not, yeah. I, 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 I want to interrupt you with a loving yeah. statement that uh, uh, hope, hopefully you'll take it the way I mean it. But 
how the fuck do you is this ADHD bing diddling ding ding person as I am go and get a master's in that? I yeah, that was my second master's. I've written books. How do you pay attention in class? <laughs> because my because not everybody else is willing to indulge me like you are. I mean, this is really fun for me, but a lot of people. It's, I'm blaming it on you. See, I'm a I am a victim here. It's all you. You're you're a victim of my ADHD. Right. Is that what's happening, right. Abby? I am a victim Got of it. Okay. ADHD. Okay. As long as I understand who yeah. the abuser is, okay. Correct. <laughs> we, are, we are totally aligned. So long as we understand each other. Um, so the very the very long story short is I was living with this guy, but he would tell me these things. He would, you know, he would have to go off on a secret mission and he was going to Iraq and Afghanistan. He was opening up a hospital four kids with cancer in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I said, that's a story. I want to know about that and tell me more. And he would, but he just some, it's some shit I couldn't fact check. You can't call the CIA and say, yo, you got this little guy working for you. I mean, they're not human resources is not going to respond. So he told me that he was the, uh, which he was the medical director at Guantanamo at one point, uh, because that was legit. That was legit. But he also told me that one of his, one of the inmates there at the time was Osama bin Laden. And I was like, bullshit, bullshit. And my mother was like, Abby, there's something wrong with this guy. And he said, I'm telling you, it's the truth. I said, the president, you could not keep this secret. And the president was Bush at the time. The president would not want this to be secret. And he said, the president doesn't know. And I just thought, this guy's insane. And then I thought, well, maybe. And then I thought, well, maybe there's a story here. Maybe. I mean, I didn't know. But I have to give myself a little pat on the back. I'm self-high-fiving myself because I was only with this guy for a year. And then I got out because I, you know, I don't, I'm not a stick arounder. And I knew that there was something off with him and I, I couldn't verify it. I mean, he would lie about like, he gave me pearls and he told me they were from Mickey Moto, which is a really swanky brand. So I being me, I called up Mickey Moto. I brought them to Mickey Moto in New York city. And they were like, yeah, these are so not ours. So I said to him, yo, commander, this would have an insignia on it if it was from Mickey Moto, and he got mad at me. Why are you ch- Why are you interrogating me? Why are you, you know? And he would gaslight me. There's something, and I felt like a bad person for trying to fact check and you know figure out the truth. So, and then he weird about he lied about weird shit for seemingly no reason. Was it was it dinner with your folks and Brussels sprouts or or broccoli or something? That's why I finally left because we went out to dinner with my parents, and he raved about these Brussels sprouts. These were like the culinary love child of Mario Batali and Anthony Bourdain, right? The greatest Brussels sprouts known to man. And then we left the restaurant and he was like, man, that meal sucked. And I said, why did you lie? And he said, I wanted to make your parents feel good. I said, they didn't cook it. They didn't care. And that's when I thought if he could lie about something so stupid and inconsequential, he could lie about anything. So I left, I got out. But, but it, that, and that was December of 2010. And this is all really relevant to the dates because I, I was still going to school and I had somebody was staying in my apartment in New York. So I was kind of stuck. I didn't know where to go. So I stayed in the Watergate and I said, we can live together. It's until I find somewhere else. I'll stay in the living room, whatever. He said, no, he stayed in his brother's in Georgetown. And then he came back to me and he said, you know what? I, I got to get out of here in two weeks. The Navy needs the apartment. We got to get out. So he said, I'll ship your stuff home. I said, okay. So I left the apartment and um, a few months later, I mean, that was the end of it. But a few months later, I looked up, I was driving by the Watergate and I saw the apartment lights on. So I called him. I was like, you're back in the apartment. He said, yeah, it was a comedy of errors. You know, the, 
the Navy needed the room back, the apartment back. And so I, 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 he said, I moved everything out and then I have to move everything back in. And I said, well, I want to come and pick up my cookbooks because I left them there, which is, I don't cook. So it's like, uh, but I was, it was a ruse. So I went back into that house and everything was exactly as it was when I left. And I said, you never moved out. And he said, yes, I did. And he looked at me straight, you know, no tells, nothing. He wasn't looking up or looking down. And I thought this man is batshit. So that was the end of it until a year and a half later, when I got a call from uh, special agent, Dan Ryan from NCIS, who said, there's a guy who's in the Navy, who's writing prescriptions for Vicodin. And um, you're one of the people who's, you know, name he, do you, do you know this guy? And do you have a prescription? And I said, I know this guy, but no, I prefer Valium. And so he, he, uh, I got to go make a statement and it was awesome. I was like in my little Nancy Drew land, you know, and then I started researching. And they got him for writing these illegal prescriptions. They yes. Got writing illegal prescriptions. He, he claimed to have been a Navy SEAL. He claimed all of these things, which is actually part of stolen valor, right? Which is illegal, but only if it's for monetary gain. That's illegal. If I walk around telling everybody in Santa Cruz that I'm I, I, I'm a former Navy SEAL just because I'm an insecure fuck and so I make bullshit up like that, you can't do that? If you, I believe it's if you're wearing, if you, I think, and I could be wrong on this, if, if you make money off of it, and I think you have to be wearing the uniform, I think, but by, it may just be if you're making money, making money on it, but there's a lot of people. I mean, it's invariably anytime I've heard of anybody who's been deceived, there's some kind of uniform involved because we think that somebody in a uniform is not going to fuck with us. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? But you can read, and there are tons of stories about military war heroes who have just been exposed as frauds. I mean, they've been, you know, what's the word? Exhumed in Arlington National Cemetery. I mean, they, they've just been because they've been, there are people who are like seal, fake seal hunters. And that is what they do for a living. They expose these freaks because it's enraging, you know, to, to be lying about this. So anyway, they didn't get him on that. They got him on the, on the, the other stuff. Um, but then I kicked really into serious journalist mode. And I found out that when he was talking to me and proposing to me, 2009, 2010, he was living with another woman and he proposed to her. And then he said to her, I got to go off on a secret mission. I'll see you later. And he never came back. That was February of 2010. And the secret mission was Operation Abbey. So he he had an ex-wife, which I knew because he had two kids with her whom I knew. But he then had an ex-ex-wife. I didn't know that either. I mean, he had all of these, you know, he had been working in Beverly Hills, but they let him go because he was unreliable and nuts. And yeah, so... It was, you know, so what, what is the takeaway there? I mean, I did meet this guy online. It's not like he was an online catfishing thing. I met him really in person. But is the, t- the takeaway for me is really verify every, I mean, just to kind of get all Reagan, you know, tr- trust, but verify. And I would just say verify and still don't trust. I'm very wary. I don't know if you are who you say you are. I'm kidding. But <laughs> well, here's the thing. I am the worst fucking liar ever. How come? I, I don't know. I I, I I just when whenever even like a white lie to just kind of massage something, it just it doesn't land. And so I'm I've been ineffective at it since I can remember. So I mean, I guess sure I'm a human being. Maybe I, I stick handle around to some things from time to time to fudge it to maybe not hurt somebody's feelings or that kind of a thing. But like I. I'm not going to tell you that I had, you know, cereal for breakfast when I had eggs or I'm not going to, 
or the self-aggrandizing lies either. Like, I don't know, you know, I understand those lies and, and I'm sure as a younger man, I made a few here and there, but I feel no need to do that. Or so, and actually this gets me to a question. What do you think the commander's motivation was? Like what, what drove him on this stuff? I ask that all the time because like, I'm really, you know, a lot of fun to hang out with, but if you're going to dupe somebody, you dupe an heiress. I mean, you dupe, you know, Amal Clooney, you dupe Julia Rock, you dupe somebody who's like really significant. What do you want to dupe an independent journalist for? I mean, stupid. So um, I think that he was really insecure. I think that he, because what I then found out was that while he was with me, he was courting another woman who ended up nailing him, actually. She's the woman who ended up sort of wearing a wire and busting him. So, um, and she was wonderful and she has since died, but he just went from sort of woman to woman and he, I think felt really badly about himself. And I think he, um, he always wanted to be a brain surgeon and he never could make it. And I think he just, you know, made to build himself up. I also think he's, I think he has a big personality disorder. I don't, you know, psychopaths. I think he might, he's lacking in empathy. Um, I think he also is so fucked up that he believes his own lies. You know, so he could pass a polygraph. Polygraphs don't work. Polygraphs do not measure lying. They measure the changes in your autonomic responses. So if you're breathing heavily, it'll measure that. And it has to, yeah, and it has to do with the interrogator and how good the interrogator is to to make you sque- uh, squeamish. But it, I think he, um, yeah, I think he believed it. I think he believed his stuff. And I, th- I think, th- I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of white lies. You know, I want you to tell me this is the greatest interview you've done. I, I'm totally cool with that. But I am not a fan of gratuitous lying for no reason. There's just, there's no point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, from time to time, we probably all do a little fudge to smooth sing over or not hurt somebody's feelings. Or It it sort of reminds me, uh, have you seen the movie Dirty Rotten Scoundrels? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and sort of the big dupe at the end that the gal is duping the two guys. I mean, it's just absolute genius. But... But you fucking live this. And so the other thing I'm sort of fascinated by are many things, but is we all sort of design our life in a particular way. And when an oppor- let's call it an opportunity to fall in love and so forth comes along. And we, we are experiencing a reality that we never even question. Uh, we don't like we don't question the availability of gravity. I don't question that uh, my wife is who she says she is. And having not had this experience, am I skeptical with some people for sure? And, you know, do I want to see uh, words and actions align? Yes. But I'm not coming into any kind of new relationship with, uh, I think, what the kind of lens that you come in with it. Uh, And so I guess the question I'm building to here is, What's it like when you realize your quote unquote reality for a year is completely not true? It is so the earth has shifted. There's been an earthquake under your feet. It is so unmooring. The only thing I I, I can say to in my in my world, it was I was questioning him the whole time. But even after I finally left, I thought I just made a big mistake and I'm too mistrustful and, and I'm such a bitch. And, and he was the best thing that ever happened to me. And it was when Dan Ryan called me 
who I actually have become friends with. But when he called me and said, you know, this guy's whatever he's been doing, I was, I was elated. It was like, fine. I felt like, 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 you know, Claire Danes in Homeland when she realizes he's a jihadist. I was right. You know, I felt like that. It was really vindicating. But I know people who found out that their husbands has, you know, second family or that, you know, they, their, their office manager was absconding with all their money. I mean, it is terrible. You just, because you are questioning your entire perceptions, you're questioning your entire sense of reality. You are questioning your choices. You're questioning your ability to make decisions. And I mean, it's, it's really unsettling. And I am single and I have, you know, I, I have certainly dated other people since him, but, um, I don't, I don't, I'm, I, I'm not trusting anybody fully. And, uh, I ask you about an assumption. You're not on Flinder, Bender and Twinder and all that shit meeting, meeting dudes. Flinder, Bender and Holiday Inn. So that was, you know what that was from? No, no, it was, that was Rapper's Delight, right? Oh, <laughs> hotel, motel, holiday inn. Say what? Of course. Um, <laughs> oh, I adore you, Abby. Yeah, you. <laughs> I love your brain. <laughs> I'm, I'm on those things. I'm on them because it's sort of like window shopping. You know, I like to. Oh, so you are on on all that shit. I just like to see what's out there. And I dated somebody. I was, I fell madly in love with somebody who I fell madly in love with more than I did the commander. I mean, I was over the moon. This was about five years ago, and. And I, and I talk about this in the book. I mean, he was, um, he was, he told me he was separated from his wife and he was separated from his wife the way you're separated from your dining companion, you know, by like a plate, they were not separated at all. And, um, and he would tell everybody that, I mean, that was his line. Everybody who knew this guy was like, oh yeah, he's separate. I was like, no, he's not. And it was devastating. It was the most, it was so awful because A, he knew the experience of duped and B, he had a daughter. And I was like, you know, do you want someone to do this? Wait, wait, wait. I, I got to wrap my head around this. It happened again. It, yeah. The guy I mean, was married. This, this, but it was, a, that's a, that's a minor dupage. I mean, it's shitty, but it's so common, right? He's, this guy was not a psychopath. But I mean, I think for most of us who haven't been duped in this way, yeah. uh, that would feel like a pretty major dupage. It, it feels minor in comparison for you. Yeah, I know. If it happened to me, it would be, it would be a life altering event. And you say, God, what is the matter with this girl? Right. Cause the common denominator in these situations is me. So, um, I think in the second situation, I think I suspected that this person was not telling me the truth, but he was, he was available. You know, he, we went away together. I mean, he, he, I, I, he was a big deal in town. People knew who he was. I call him an artist in my book. Um, he wasn't quite an artist. I, I sort of hit his identity. Um, but, um, it, that was awful. That was probably worse than the other one because I, there was, you know, I thought, I said to him, you could have just told me the truth. I probably would have gone out with you anyway. <laughs> you just should have told me the truth. Just, <laughs> I just need to know where I stand. Hey, Abby, here's the reality. I'm yeah. looking for a side piece and I think you might be it. <laughs> as long as you tell me, no, it's my six words. You don't cheat on the mistress, right? <laughs> That's why you become now, the mistress. The other thing that, that uh, your stuff made me think about is... I have been duped, oh, but, but what I might call nowhere near at the level. So maybe a small D duped, okay. so to speak. Uh, and what struck me, there's this thread that sort of runs through your stuff, which is sort of, um, we see what we want to see. Yeah. And if, if, 
like I, I think about it in business. I've had it. I've been duped multiple times in business where somebody is absolutely fucking not who they say they are. It's not that they have a double life. It's that their level of integrity, their level of professionalism, their level of intellect, their ability to work hard, you know, whatever it is, like things that you valued about them were actual bullshit. And then, and then people who look you in the eye and say, I love you like a brother. And then, you know, fuck you over, you know, a meaningful amount of money, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so I've had all of those, you know, I started my first company at 18. I'm 50 fucking three years old. Shit happens along the way. Right. Um, and I haven't, you know, worked at the post office. So there's a, there's, you know, if you're, if you're entrepreneurial, if you're pushing to, you know, create future oriented things, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but shit's going to happen from time to time. And so I think about, and there's been some relationships I've had for a long period of time. And then something happens and the person's real sort of the real person gets exposed and you go, fuck, I thought I knew so-and-so. I had no idea that was coming. And you asked me this. So I will lob it right back at you. What did that do to you? What, how did that unmoor you? Uh, so I think there's at least a couple elements of it. There's dealing with the individual person. So there's kind of processing that uh, and the individual situation itself. And then, you know, much like you took, you've taken many, many learnings, you know, what are the learnings that you're going to take forward? And so I think those are the two domains. And it depends on, you know, I, I, there's two in particular that I'm thinking about that were very painful with uh, two guys that I respected and admired and felt like I would go to war for and in a business context did. Uh, and then just turned out to be absolute fucking terrible. And I think how the fuck did I not see that for so long? And the other thing that's interesting is after it happens, you always have a bunch of friends say, I never understood why the fuck you were hanging out with that guy anyway. I'm like, well, why the fuck didn't you tell me that eight years ago? Exactly. Exactly. Well, it's interesting because this is actually really interesting because the commander had a brother and sister-in-law and the sister-in-law knew that he had been with this other woman and she had, had proposed to this other woman and had been there a year earlier, which he didn't tell me about. She never told me. No, she never said, you know what, Abby? And I thought, I, I recently, it's been 12 years, okay? Recently, this woman wrote to me, sent me an email telling me that she secretly, she and her daughter secretly read my book, Duped, and, and, and uh, you know, and we, we think about you so much and all this stuff. And I thought, first of all, your kid is 15 now. She met me when I was, when she was three. I don't think she remembers me. It's unlikely she remembers me. So I don't know what you want to hear. You know, she did say, my kid is a writer now. And I'm thinking, you want me to help your kid write? Is that what you want? But anyway, but I thought, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? And then I thought, well, maybe it was better that she, she just didn't want to get involved, you know? And then I, I got, then I met, my brain went to like Kitty Genovese. <laughs> and I was like, you know, that story about had this woman who was on the streets of New York and she was getting murdered and she was screaming and nobody helped her allegedly, I, I think was debunked, but people don't want to get involved. But it's true. It's like how much somebody said this to me once her husband was cheating on her or had cheated on her a million years ago before I met them. And she said, Abby, he told you that. I said, yes. She said, well, why didn't you tell me? And I said, well, it happened many years ago. I don't know what you knew, what you didn't know. It wasn't really my place to say something. 
So I don't know the answer, you know, but right. So it really wasn't the sister-in-law's place to say something. And those other people, maybe they thought, because we question our own guts and we question our own cynicism and we question, you know, our own assumptions. I think you don't know anything until you fully know it. Yeah. I see this with relationships slash marriages. And so you have a, a friend or a family member and they are in a relationship that's a serious long-term relationship with a complete asshole and on one hand, you really want to say something, but on the other hand, you love this person. And at the end of the day, if this is their person, you you want to support them and love them. And so there's this weird ass line you're always trying to walk to say, hey, um, you know, Susie, Jim is a fucking douchebag, right? Like, but if you do it too much too often, then it's going to fuck your relationship with, with your loved one. And so it's this weird line that I think many of us try to walk. Have you ever had a situation where some, you know your friend's partner's cheating on them? And do you get involved or not? What do you say? Because, because they might have some bargain that you don't know anything about, you know, and then you end yeah, up... Yeah, I, I actually haven't had that happen. I think it would be a function of how close I am to that person. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if they were really somebody close to me, I, I absolutely would tell them. And I, I know that's a, a tough scenario to say absolutely, but I, I, I can't imagine that I wouldn't. Yeah, no. And, and, I, and I would, too. I think we owe our close friends and the people around us. We owe them the truth. Like I like I said, I'm a fan of white lies, but that's in the world. And that's, you know, social lubrication. Right. I, I think with people I know and now you, Chris, I mean, you know, now anytime you ask me a question, I will tell you straight. I will tell you. Beware, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah, it's. It, but these does this all, T-shirt make my ass look fat, Abby? Does. I wanted. To, I have a. I have a pill for you. Um, no, I think it's. It's. These are kind of ethical questions, you know that that are maybe good for a rabbi. I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know the answer. I think a lot of them are case by case questions. I mean, if if this woman, this sister in law, knew that her brother in law was dating two women, should she have? told one of them or both of them or is it really none of her business i don't know i i think should's a heavy word in situations yeah. like this because it's you know who are who are who am i to judge anybody's life uh i just that i think i know pretty certainly what i would do and you know i want to just circle back to the question of sort of what did you learn or or i think what at least happens to me is once people get over some kind of a relationship bar of intimacy, you do see them with rose-colored glasses. You just do. You forgive them their deficiencies at, because I want you to forgive me my deficiencies, it's, right? And, it's, and I would like it if we're going to be friends that you would love me enough that you would look past some of my, you know, less laudable uh, uh, the features. <laughs> And so I think maybe we just grant the people that we love and admire a, le a level of sort of, I don't know what to call it, understanding. Uh, a, we give them a lot of, ro I don't know what it is. What, what, what would you call that part? It's hard to see red flags when you're wearing rose colored glasses. So, you know, but um, what I... You might want to think about being a writer, Abby. Yeah, right. It's, it's, it's very strange. That I, anyway, yes. But I think that... We see what we want to see. We, we, we see what, you know, we don't want to. Nobody wants to see bad things. 
Nobody wants to imagine the worst. We really don't. As cynical as terrible. I, I mean, not to get like all frank, you know, people are, I really think people are all good. And then the Nazis are going to come and take me away. I mean, you know, you don't think anybody is really going to fuck with you the way they, they do. You just don't imagine it, especially for yes. no reason. For no reason. Again, if you're an heiress and you have millions of dollars at stake, this guy asked me, the commander asked me if I was a, once he asked me if I was a, had a trust fund and I, and I, or something like that. Or do I have money? And I was like, no, you know, so go find Patty Hearst. I mean, you know, go do what you got to do. Um, I, I, I just, you don't imagine anyone's going to mess with you. You just don't. And, and it's, yes. you know, it's yes. just, yeah. Now the other thing I'm very curious about amongst many others is, uh, and I did it some Googling around. And so if you've done it, I, I missed it and I'm an idiot. Um, have you disclosed who the commander is ever? No, people have found out. And the reason I didn't disclose it is because he had kids and I felt like they suffered enough. No, I mean, his, his son who was 12 when I knew him, the and daughter was like seven, um, worshiped his father. I mean, just thought he was the greatest thing, wanted to follow in his footsteps and be a military hero. The son thought the secret service was following him. And, and uh, this is what I was told too, because the commander had been in such serious, you know, and, cahoots with so many terrorists and they were after him and i would look out the window and i'd be like where is the secret service and he's like abby they're secret that's why you're not going to see them and i was like well tell him to give me a ride so i don't have to pay for taxis you know but his son worshipped him and and the mother had to then tell him dad has been making all this shit up and he's going to jail so i felt like the son suffered enough and i didn't want to expose the name i didn't want to and it was a name that i didn't want i didn't i didn't the family didn't do anything wrong so i didn't want to hurt them and that's why i didn't expose it so hmm. if you really want to go with God, you can find it. You're, if you have a brain, you could figure it out, you know, because I did quote him in articles, but, um, but that's why I didn't, I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not vindictive. I'm really not. Although I did write a book about him, but I mean, <laughs> in general, I don't want to ruin people's lives unless they really, really, really deserve it. But you, you actually, in this case, went out of your way to protect his family. Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. I did. I, I, yeah. I, I, they didn't do anything wrong. Right. And in a situation like this, I've had a situation like this in my life lately. Uh, you just think, well, I'm not going to stack pain on top of pain. Uh, I might want to torture so-and-so and he might, the commander might deserve it, but you these know, are kids. My, they, they, they were kids and now they're older, but it doesn't matter. You know, my sister died. Even still, even if they were not kids, right? If they're yeah. people. They're people. Right. They're people. Because they're in massive, massive pain. They, they, you went through a year with this guy. They went through their whole life up until life. that point, right? And so their whole reality went poof, right? And so, I mean, that's a lot of therapy, a lot of whiskey, and a lot of Mary Jane right there they're staring down. Yes, it, yes, it is. Well, it's, but it's interesting because my, my sister died a year ago, and I want to write a book about that and some of her issues. And my mother really doesn't want me to. And my niece, my sister's kid, is up in the air about it. And so I feel like, you know, quote unquote, as an artist, you know, like I want to write this story. And yet there are two and more, my father, my brother, my brother-in-law who have, you know, feelings about it. And if I were maybe a better writer or if I didn't care as much getting back, you see that our conversation just came around being a good person versus being a great artist. If I were a better artist, if I were for Flaubert and a great fornicator, maybe I wouldn't care. But why do I need to hurt them anymore? 
So yeah, yeah, bless you for that. I mean, there's plenty of pain and suffering in the world. We don't have to deliberately do it to each other, do we? Exactly. Okay, is that your phone or mine? Oh, that's yours. That's all that's all you, Abby. <laughs> Anyway, so that wasn't that a nice way of tying this all up? Well, I, I think this feels like a good kickout point for the wave. Um, uh, is there anything else you'd like to touch on? I mean, clearly, no. I could talk to you for days and days and days and have a great time. Doesn't that you know what that sounds like to me? A Dylan lyric. What lyric? Oh, is it? Hmm. Do you remember which song? Yeah, I remember which song. I could stay with you forever and never realize the time. You're gonna make me lonesome when you go. Oh, that's a great Isn't that nice. Um, that's a great. You're going to make me lonesome when you go. That's yeah. such a great lyric. Isn't it? It's flowers on the hill. Lonesome. <laughs> lonesome is a great word. And it's a word you really only hear in country songs. I know. I know. It's. I just started trying to write a song. I just wrote a song. I don't know why. It probably is terrible. But um, I and lonesome is just a word that needs to be in it. I mean, in, in a few. Yeah. yeah, it's a beautiful word. It's a beautiful word, and it's yeah. different from being alone, and it's different from being lonely. So, yes. but so much yes. fun. Thank you for bearing with my – I'm in Sun Valley, Idaho, and I don't really know people here, so I haven't really talked to people. So I think that's why I was so chattery, because I was like, oh, my God, there's somebody who wants to talk to me. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I, I really want to talk to you. I think you're fantastic. And you're welcome back anytime. I mean, anything you want to say, any, you know, if you've got a new New, uh, new York Times thing that you want to talk about or uh, your next book or whatever the fuck, uh, you're always welcome uh, to come back. I, I think you're fantastic. I think uh, you're a ton of fun. And, um, you know, you bring so many fascinating things to light. And, and that's what makes for legendary conversation. Well, but it takes a legendary host. See, folks, this is... This is the barf part of the program where we're just like, you know, exalting each other. But anyway. <laughs> yes. Thank you. All right, Abby. Anything else? No, I, I, that's it, babe. <laughs> okay. Bless you. Uh, and please stay legendary and please come back soon. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, there she is. The legendary, the fun, the smart, and... Uh, <laughs> just outstanding Abby Ellen and I sure hope you enjoyed this conversation and if you did uh, whatever podcast app you're listening to this on uh, has a share feature and why not share it with uh, 10,000 people that you love respect and admire (laughs) right now uh, who might enjoy this conversation with Abby and we would greatly appreciate it her book is out it's a smash hit and it's called duped double lives false identities and the con man I almost married. And if you want to go even further with her, her new podcast series is out on Spotify, and it's called Imposters, the Commander. All right. We would like to thank our good friends at Atrenet, A-T-R-E dot N-E-T, building legendary B2B websites in Silicon Valley for over 20 years. Check out Atre.net today. Our friends at NetSuite are the world's number one cloud ERP system, and they are the platform for your business. For a free product tour, go to NetSuite.com slash different today. That's NetSuite.com slash different. And our friends at Spiro.ai are the proactive relationship management system for salespeople and sales managers who like to harness the power of technology to close more sales. Spiro.ai. And my friends at Bottleneck.online are the world's leading distant assistant company. That is to say, if you need an assistant who's technology-enabled, 
but a real human being who is nowhere near you and will never get near you, <laughs> check out bottleneck.online today. Also, don't forget Abby Ellen's new Spodcast, Spodcast? <laughs> Spotify podcast, Imposters, The Commander, is out. Uh, and also, you should know your spouse called, and um, they said it's okay. You can go ahead and subscribe to Category Pirates. Uh, don't forget OneLifeFullyLived.org is the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. And if you're in a position to help, we'd love it if you'd help us at One Life. And uh, please, don't forget our food banks, our homeless shelters, our faith-based organizations. This is a tough time in this uh, in our world, and if you can help, now would be a good time to do that. All right, I need to remind you that today's Oddcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. All rights do remain perturbed. We must warn you that this Oddcast does get created in a studio that contains nuts, and uh, you should check with somebody very smart before acting on any of today's information. We are produced and edited by Jason DeFilippo. He's the greatest producer in the podcast world of all time. And his podcast is called Grumpy Old Geeks, and it's one of my favorites. Technical Awesomeness and Lockhead.com, built by Jamie J and Sarah Knox. Show notes by the handsome and talented GM Simon. Don't forget to listen to Blue Rodeo. George Carlin was right. Call your mom. And uh, don't be lame. Get out of the passing lane. And, uh, you know, I've noticed something interesting about this. It seems like many Tesla drivers have adopted what Prius drivers do, which is sitting in the left-hand lane, driving below the speed limit. So just just get over. Really? Would it kill you? All right, take two podcasts and email us in the morning. Thank you, Candy Dandy. She keeps all the trains running on time. Love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Scott O'Malonic, editor of Inc. Magazine, a.k.a. Stink Magazine. Sorry, Scotty. We just ran out of time for you. All right, my friends. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with us. Please stay safe, stay legendary, and until we get to hang out again, follow your different.